Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lewis and Kyle Show, where we have fascinating conversations with entrepreneurs, investors, authors, and thought leaders in a variety of subjects. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Kelly Powell, the founder and former CEO of the McLaurin Group. They are an outsourced operating partner for private equity and investment companies that recently turned into an investment group. In addition to her role at McLaurin, Kelly is an angel investor, both personally and through the McLaurin Group, a growth advisor, and the author of the Courage of the New Book, Courage to Lose Sight of Shore, How to Partner with Private Equity to Grow Your Business with Confidence. In addition, she's a self-described champion of putting good into the world, which we get into more detail at the very end. This conversation covers her career progression all the way from the time she was 22, 23, graduating college to where she is today. Uh, we discuss how she managed planning versus experimenting in her career, kind of navigating versus wayfinding, uh, and how her advice for applying that into our own lives uh, specifically, Kyle asked the question. Anyway, we also discuss culture and leadership challenges people face when getting involved with private equity. We discuss the how and why McClure Group changed to be less about being a technology operating partner and more about direct investing. We discuss her philosophy of alignment and, of course, other big ideas from her book. As always, we get into a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I'm going to switch to super quick word from our sponsor, and then this party will be started. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by our friends at VASA, the virtual assistant staffing agency. We hired our first virtual assistants from VASA to assist with our operations running the show back in June. But VASA is not just for podcast editors. If you need some extra hands to free up your time, let VASA help you with hiring for administrative, technical, and creative work. That's graphic design, cold callers, social media managers, sales reps, video editors, admin assistants, and more. Free up your time to focus on your highest impact work and learn more about VASA at vastaffing.agency or by clicking the link in the show notes to schedule a free strategy session with their team. Alrighty, back to the show. Kelly, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. I'm excited for this conversation we're about to have. Hello, I'm excited to be here with you guys. Uh, I'm going to start out with... You, <laughs> even before we start, look, I've got a little bit of a cough and it gets worse when I laugh. So I'm just apologizing now to anybody listening. I've listened to you guys. I'm going to call. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get that out of the way. We're big jokesters. All right. We'll do our best to uh, make it just, it has no. to be worthwhile or, or you just, we'll see, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. But thank you for the, <laughs> thank you for the heads up. Uh, this is a dangerously open-ended question to start with, but I feel like it's going to be really helpful for people because you know, a lot of people, especially that listen to this podcast, kind of want to end up in that state you're in now where you have you know, a huge network, you get to invest in a lot of companies, you get to sit in senior leadership positions at a lot of companies. And that's like a really, again, for a lot of people, that's kind of the dream to be like this capital allocator, but also, you know, doing, being more actively involved. So what's the, I know you have kind of had a long career and done a lot of interesting things, but what would you give as like the fast, you know, from the time you finished college, like how you end up in this position of being that, that capital allocator and being able to choose a lot of impact investing and all these other things that we'll get into? Yeah, well, that is a big question out of the gate, but it's an easy one. And I would say just being very authentic to what you enjoy doing, what you wanna do, and also know what you don't wanna do, right? And because I think that's the biggest piece is figuring out where you fit in to a bigger picture of success because none of us can be good at all things. And when you do that, um, if you're having fun in what you do uh, and you're good at it, chances are you're gonna be successful at it. And then you create momentum, right? Of seeing where your career takes you. I certainly didn't start my career saying, you know, I think I'm going to build a career where I can support portfolios of private equity and uh, also be an angel investor. I didn't start there. I started at, you know, I had a love for data. It was fun. I enjoyed that. So that's where I would start. If you can rewind, what did you start out thinking if you had any idea uh, what you wanted to do? I have a friend, I'm forgetting which friend I'm going to credit the theory to, uh, but both of them happen to be on the podcast. So that's, that's just convenient. But there's like, they call it, one's like wayfinding versus pathfinding. I'm definitely butchering the analogy, 
But one friend keep, continues to encourage me to like, you know, do you have a destination? Like, are you one of those people who like, you have something five years out that like, you really want to do that. And you're just trying to really aggressively reverse engineer. Or are you just someone who's just trying to, again, follow you that intuition? Like, do I like what's in front of me? Am I excited about what's next? And like, just looking like one and a half steps ahead and just trying to follow like the path of kind of enjoyment. Would you say that when you started out, you had that really determinist mindset of like, I'm going to pursue data because I think it'll lead to good things or just like, I like this. Let's just see what happens. Well, for someone who wrote a book to say, make it about alignment and culture, not just about the money, you're going to, hmm. I'm going to answer you honestly here. One of the reasons that I even chose the path of management information systems, which was a new major when I was first thinking about it, was because, you know, one, started off with it was something I really enjoyed doing. I, I did, in fact, take computer classes in high school. Uh, but when I showed up and I heard the dean saying, well, our highest rate of uh, being able to secure a job before graduation. And by the way, our high, highest salaries currently for our graduates is within the management information science curriculum. Okay, well, that was cool because that's what I love to do. I could get a job and I can make a good salary. So, um, you know, it wasn't just about the money, but there was a, a piece of that of it being something of what I love to do that drove me to want to explore it. And then once you get in and you realize that, yes, I'm doing something that I love to do, to be really clear, there were some courses that I said, no, never in a million years, you know, if I can survive this course and get through it, I will not program in this language. This is just something I'm checking a box. So there is that exploring to see what it is you want to do. I think the answer is um, you have to do both. Um, and the reason I say that is because I think that you have to be open. Like there are, even then, right, management information systems was a brand new curriculum. When I was first starting to think about college applications, it didn't exist until I was there, you know, showing up. And so you have to be open to especially you know, as you're thinking about software companies and technology, we don't know what the next is going to be. Matter of fact, we might define it. We might create it. We might invent it. So you have to be able to be open to things that you don't know exist. Going back to the start, right? I didn't know I would end up working for private equity firms who invested in founders in amazing ways to grow their business. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know that was possible. It's part of the reason why I wrote the book is because that's something that happens completely behind closed doors. A lot of it's confidential. You don't know uh, and, until somebody tells you and you have exposure to it. I think at the same time, you also have to know your story, what matters to you, your what, whether it's culture to skill set or things that you want to explore, things that you are going to want to learn and do and spend your time doing, you, you're the only one who knows that. So you can't, can't just be out there in, in the wind waiting for something to fall in your lap. Um, if it's not, you're not already defining what it is that you enjoy and how you want to spend your time. Agree or disagree? Agree. You know, I have a kind of a personal, I don't know if I'd call it a problem, but like I started my career in September. I graduated in May, started my career in September. I'm not always thinking about like the future, but like I, I do have that uh, Gen Z or, or whatever you want to call it problem where like I want it now. Like I want to be the person that I'm going to be now. And like, mm -hmm. I think, you know, part of what Lewis is saying is you spent a lot of years being an administrator at uh, the University of Virginia or the University of Richmond, excuse me. Um, and only a month in, I'm like, I can't imagine eight years or 10 years of, of doing something, but I know that that's what I'm going to do. And so like, 
how do I be patient in the pursuit of what I know I want? Like I, I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I know that I am um, on a path that will lead me to where I want to go. But it's just like, I don't know. And, and I know you're not a therapist. It's a hard question to answer, but what do you think about that? Well, I think first of all, I'm a terribly impatient person. I'm still working on it. Um, patience is not something that I have, you know, a tremendous amount of. Um, I will say that I think being able to have ambition and drive is a really good thing. I think at the same time, we don't always know sometimes that we're in a moment that is great and mm. kind of having the time of your life. And so really soak it all in instead of focusing on what is my what next? What can you get out of where you are right now that you're truly getting the most out of it? You know, as you, as you mentioned, University of Richmond, by the way, University of Richmond, but you know, goes by. I, I corrected myself. That's okay. That's okay. That's all right. That's all right. Um, you know, I think uh, I didn't start off by thinking I was going to end up at a college or university. Uh, I had started at what was Signet Bank and became Capital One in their M&A group and, you know, really had amazing experiences from being a startup within a, a larger organization here in Richmond to do that. And so when I then went to University of Richmond to lead a team, I had not, that hadn't been in my path is when I said I was, you know, when I was graduating as these are my top 10 things I want to do. I, I hadn't thought about it. But then what happened was really enjoyed being on campus. I enjoyed the collegiality. I enjoyed the team. Um, so much so that when I got my MBA, I could have gotten it full ride as an employee at University of Richmond. It was one of the reasons because when you're you're part of the University of Richmond team, your children will be able to have free tuition if they make the grade. So of course this was this amazing as a mom of two boys, this was an amazing benefit where I'm thinking about being able to support my family and do the things I want to do. I didn't get my MBA from University of Richmond until I left. I was working in a startup in Boston. I paid full price and I would tell the professors, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that I'm getting my money's worth. So I got to show up to extra classes. <laughs> extra extra hours, office hours to be able to do that because yeah, I could have, I could have gotten a full ride at university of Richmond, but when I left, I wanted to continue to be a part of what was university of Richmond. And so I wanted to be an alumni. Now, if you had asked me graduating college, one, would I be getting my MBA from university of Richmond or would I and be working there or would I then use that to go and start a work with a startup that served colleges and universities or would I then use that to work for a company in Richmond who would become a billion dollar company that served colleges and universities that would introduce me to private equity no I wouldn't <laughs> but there's a journey and yeah. that's how we got there so I think give yourself the gift of being really excited about what you're doing and giving it your all fully leaning in um, because it may then lead to either continuing with what you're doing to your point of staying there for years, or maybe it takes you to the next thing. Thank we you very much that until you and I check back. Are you going to navigate or are you going to wayfind or do just a little bit of both? Uh-huh. Um, well, I kind of, that leads me into my next question, I guess, in my own head. Like, what about the person who is, or bear with me. Uh, so someone is loving their job 
at a company and that company gets bought by private equity and they've got a lot of anxiety about it. How can that person be, uh, how, okay, let me restart. How can highbrow private equity employees and employees at the companies that they buy come together to add value to and, and create organizations that are actually better versus having like this us versus them dynamic that is created with, with an acquisition. Those are some loaded words, Kyle. Highbrow, maybe it's the wrong word. I've worked in private equity too, so, you know. Okay, private equity, the folks I work with, so uh -huh. let's have a caveat there, right? Because not everybody is the same. And so that's one of the things that I talk about in the book is finding that alignment. The folks that I work with, and especially now, I mean, where we are, culture is so important. Employees are so important. They are the reason customers have something to buy because you have employees who are showing up to support the company and deliver a product or service. And so finding that cultural fit is really important. And I, what I see in private equity in my experience is it actually brings in opportunities and surrounds yourself with advisors, biasly, selfishly, like myself, who are invested in your success and your growth. And so there are going to be opportunities in the organization to be able to grow in ways that you wouldn't have otherwise done. That may be benefits, that may be adding on to an acquisition or a new product line that may be, you know, bringing in, um, you know, folks to help you with the sales team to be able to expand. And so I, I get the angst and that's part of the reason why I wrote the book, but there should be excitement because the private equity is, company isn't showing up so that we fail together. They are showing up so that we can be hugely successful together and grow and do more. And by the way, they need really great employees who already understand the client, the customer, the product. You, you chose to be there. So I would say, let's say in a situation of, of highbrow, why, why did you show up? Why did you take the job? Why were you there before private equity? Or were you there before or after? This is a hypothetical. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. As I said, I started my career last month. I worked, I was an intern at a real estate private equity firm and it was fantastic. Um, I loved every second of it. It was very small, not, you know, See? um, That's not I, I don't think that private equity people are highbrow. I, I'm just okay. saying that the perception of, yes. uh, of somebody who makes, you know, something in a factory w when their boss who they've known for 20 years leaves and, and comes this, you know, suited up group of people. I feel like they would think those are highbrow people. That's kind yeah. of what I was trying to say. And, and, yeah, and that's fair. I think, and, you know. well, the folks that are doing the work, when we think about in that example, that's the very person we want to talk to. Because there mm -hmm. may be something in that process, right? The whole, what keeps you up at night? If we were to grow, like if you were to say, okay, we're going to triple our size. Can you keep up? Right. And that person right there on, on the line says, oh my gosh, this is the worst news I've heard in my lifetime. We can't triple. There's no way I can do the work. We don't have this. We don't have that. We would need this. We would need that to be able to accomplish that. Okay. Well then let's make those things happen. And I, I think where the angst comes from is that you think our jobs are going to be replaced. Mm. If a process comes in and replaces something that I do so that now we can interact and reach more customers and more clients, that means that how I was spending my time, now I can do something else. 
it doesn't mean that I go away because again, we're growing the company. We're creating more jobs and more opportunities. And I, I think that there is excitement that should be had because you're also maybe you weren't thinking about leaving this company. You were going to be here for years. Now we do an add on acquisition. It's maybe in a space that is closely aligned, but from your perspective, completely different. And you were never going to be exposed to that product line or those customers or that company. And yet now here you are because you're still a part of, you never left the company, but now you're a part of something bigger and different and it's growing and there's other opportunities and you might be able to move to another department that didn't even exist before an acquisition happened. It wasn't even, it didn't even exist. How would you know? So yeah, I, I understand the angst, but there's huge opportunity. So be as helpful as you can to the success, your success, but also your teammates, help them learn um, and grow. And I, I think the biggest, the biggest advice I could give in that is because it was given to me is always be helping the folks around you in ways that you can step out so that someone else can fill your chair. I think that sometimes we get really caught up on, I need to control this piece. I need to be really good at it. I need to be the best at this so that I get to keep my job, that whole angst. I don't want my job to go away. But I mean, University of Richmond, I didn't do the same job for all those years. My goodness, that would have been horrible. No, I, you know, you want to grow and do different things. It would have been horrible for me. I already said, I'm terribly impatient. <laughs> I want to be doing, I want to be growing. I want to do something else. But there may be, um, you know, ways that now you see an opportunity you want to move over to this other department that I, this other company essentially that I just described, but you've created your own fiefdom where you're the only one who can do your job. You haven't opened up to be able to share with others. You haven't invested in someone to be able to fill your chair. You've protected it. Guess what? You're so invaluable in that chair. You get to keep it. We're going to promote somebody else. They're going to get that gig over there. So I think that that is a piece about being open and and sharing and investing in others and not feeling like you have to just keep you know, everything about the one job that you know. Share your knowledge. I would say I agree again. I think people kind of, I mean, a lot of comments, I'd say people are creating their own destiny when that happens, right? First of all, if you just decide you're going to have a negative attitude no matter what happens, right? If you're like, any change is bad and I just don't want any change, it's like, well, Again, there's a degree of like accountability and it really depends on, I mean, yeah, there's something to be said for how the management, old management or new management communicates and frames the change in terms of, is this going, you know, look at all these new opportunities this is going to unlock for you versus if they're like, this is my check, see ya, hope things don't suck with the new guy. Like, it, so it's one, like how the, the people in charge frame it. And of course, how the new team comes on in and it's like, hey, you know, think, are they the disciplinarians like, oh, things are going to be different around here? Or are they like, hey, we're awesome. And now you get to be part of this larger, awesome thing. And there's so many, so many people and uh, factors involved. But I think kind of Kyle, like you're saying, coming in with uh, lots of assumptions that it's going to be negative or it's going to be uh, hostile is not a way to uh, set anyone up for like, I mean, it's an, it's an us for them mentality. If you start out with like a isn't it always going to be an us versus them mentality? But if you can help people like see it from the other frame, from the outset. Yeah, and I think this is good advice, even if it's not private equity coming in. It may just be that there's a leadership change, right? So much can happen even if someone were to step aside. They might step away for another opportunity, or it could be their health, or it could be lots of reasons why there are transitions. And it's the exact same. You've, you've got to have been right, open to the possibilities. Be really good 
at, you know, creating value in the work you're doing and be open to the possibilities of, of what's the what's next. And there's no way you can do that if you've created your own fiefdom of protecting you know, your, your one job. Let's switch gears to the other side of this equation. Uh, we've been alluding to your book without speaking to it directly. How would you describe the kind of opportunity that you feel was underappreciated and needed to be more widely understood and appreciated that prompted you to write the book? There was actually two things. Um, one, we just talked about it. There's, there's this aspect of private equity that I think founders don't know that they might want to consider private equity. And it's interesting because the, the perfect target audience is someone who doesn't even know that they might want to consider it. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's how do you, how do you get folks to read something to be able to, as we were talking about that job that you didn't know even existed, the possibility. So open yourself up to possibilities and seeing why it would be the right fit or why it wouldn't, because I think private equity gets bad rap. And I work with some amazing private equity uh, funds where the people truly are investors and helping people grow their businesses in the right ways and doing the right thing. The other piece for me was around the leadership lessons. Uh, one of my mentors, because we were able to grow a business in ways that we could do the right thing. And he didn't choose the money, right? When we, we partnered, with private equity, he turned down other folks who were the highest bidder because he believed in the culture and the fit and all those things that we've already talked about to be able to bring in and create opportunities for employees and create opportunities for clients and what we were delivering for them uh, to be able to do more and invest in technology and invest in data, which was great because remember, that's, that's what excites me and why I was there. So I think for me, the leadership lessons of being able to show up, um, do the right thing, and know that you can grow your business and you're going to have folks that are going to want to invest in you. You don't, you don't have to just be greedy. You know, you can grow by showing up for others. So that's why I wanted to write the book. Why do you think that private equity is overlooked, underappreciated, uh, all of these negative associations with it, like persist? Is it just confusion? Is it just no one's ever educated? Like, why is there this mist of secrecy until you've basically accidentally come involved and come to the, like, it seems, oops, seems like you, you know, you make it to the other side past like this, like, it's just a total confused unknown to people who aren't in the game, so to speak. Well, that's for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, let's face it the bad stories make a good news lead. So those are the ones that we hear about. Um, so, and I think that there are, right, myths are built out of some truth. There are, I don't care what industry you're in. I don't care what industry you're in. There will be examples of folks that are doing things really well, and there will be examples of folks that are not doing things well. So you have the responsibility to figure out where you want to align and who are the good guys and what does good guy even mean? A good guy to you might be different than a good guy to me. It might be, uh, you know, it, it's all in what you want out of your right partner and alignment. But the piece that I think is a bit unfair, but makes it seem exactly what you just said, that everything's in secret. Like if you are, everything's done behind closed doors to protect the founders. Not every deal goes through. Imagine you've grown your business and how cool that, you know, you're, you've grown a business that is all about data, using it the right way, being there for your consumers. Well, you go through a process and for whatever reason, it's a failed process. Now, that is not something you would want to be out 
for your employees, for the consumer, like for your customers in the world to know, okay, well, why? Why? Why did Lewis not, what happened? Um, no, and it may be that you just had to take care of a few things and get it in a place to move forward. It could also be that they weren't the right partners for you. And you saying no and walking away from a deal that you thought was a good deal, but maybe not a great deal for you or your employees or your clients, that's that's a really good thing. So it doesn't have to be a bad reason that people walk away or don't have the right alignment. You think about the economy. I mean, when we had the start of COVID, there were literally deals that were very close that then got put on hold or pause or didn't happen. Uh, goodness, can you imagine? Imagine like going home and telling the family, no, we're actually not going to be celebrating the way I thought we were. Everything got put on hold because the economy shifted and it changed because of the pandemic and things shut down. I think it's the same thing in, in a recession. It, the deals don't stop. Deal flow doesn't stop, but it, it pauses. And so it could be that you were having a conversation about a deal where now the debt to fund it isn't there. And that's no reflection on you or your business. And so those things, yeah, they should be. They should be private conversations. That should be okay. So, but, um, yeah, so then it does have this like cloak and dagger of because everything happens behind closed doors. I think that things that we don't talk about openly and um, with full transparency, then we start to question and wonder and we create our own dialogue. So back to your employees, Kyle, as you talked about, like the employees that were have this fear, that's because they're creating their own uh, sound bites, their own story. So it's really important for, for leaders to get ahead of that and talk to the employees about what's happening so they are prepared. So Kyle's not nervous about losing his job. And my goodness, Kyle's great at it. He shouldn't lose his job just because, you know, highbrow came in. Okay. That's funny. I think uh, I'm trying to remember exactly. I lost the exact train of thought I had right there about what you were saying. I had my next question ready, but it was okay. it was a great comment. It was such a good comment related to what you're saying. I assure you. Uh, but you do. Oh, I feel like in general you're just like encouraging. Oh, what I was going to say is a lot of people will fill the gap, right? If they back to the cloak and the dagger, right? If it's I just think the default, you know, this is a conjecture on human nature without much evidence or reason to take them seriously, but without any information, people are just kind of generally be like anxious, generally be wary. And so just people are going to, if, if you're leaving it to themselves to fill the gap of like, what's going to happen, they're just going to assume it's not going to be positive. Right. And that's where like the fear and the anxiety come from. And that's a great leadership lesson. Like, again, forget the private equity piece. I talk about, so one of the things that's been really fun, um, people will, will quote me or show up or in a meeting or in a conversation, there'll be something that they'll do. Um, and one of the things is in the, in the book, I talk about the no update updates, right? And so, cause we, and especially with all this, with folks hiring and ghosting going on and people not hearing back from people, I think it's just terrible. And we as individuals assume that silence means bad news. So it's just a good way to approach customer success and even how you interact with colleagues, um, friends, family, anybody. Silence, people assume, wait, you've forgotten about me. I'm no longer important. You're not making time for me. And it could be that on the other side, just like in an instance where you have an acquisition that's happening, where the founder, the CEO is working really hard with the PE firm to make everything work so they can create these opportunities for employees, but being quiet. Meanwhile, employees are thinking, wow, he's awfully distant. She's awfully distant. She's not showing up. Where is she? She obviously doesn't care about our customers. She didn't even come to this meeting. What's happening? What possibly maybe more important? than this conversation, our voice. And 
It may be that you're looking at building out for a client. Maybe you have a client who now wants to build out their entire data analytics platform. And they have said, okay, Lewis, I need your help with that. Okay, great. So you get so excited and you're digging in and you're building it out. A couple of days go by. You're so excited. You're almost ready to you know, deliver this and show them how you're going to, this is going to transform their business. Meanwhile, on the other side, they've gotten upset because they haven't heard back from you on whether or not you're even interested. They start calling other people to see who can help them and they've moved on because we didn't give a no update update of saying, look, I'm thinking about you. I'm working on your behalf. You may not hear from me. You'll hear from me on you know, Wednesday of the week. I'll get back with you. Don't expect to hear back from me until Friday. Setting those expectations of when I can count on hearing back from you is huge, really important. And it's a skill that surprisingly not many people have. Um, and I think part I'm of that is- I call it a superpower. I'm going to elevate it to superpower status. Yeah, I mean, it's right. And it, it, it kind of would joke because I would always ask for updates and, you know, the team would say, like, I don't have an update. I'm still working. I'm like, okay, well, that's an update. So it's taking that long. When do we want to check back in again? And, you know, it was, it would get to the point where folks would joke walking down the hallway with me. They'd see me and say, okay, I just want to let you know, I don't have an update. And while they were making fun of me, it was fabulous because I was getting real-time updates because sometimes I'd pass them and be like, okay, yeah, I do have an update. But so I was like, okay, you, you can make fun of me with wanting a no update update. It's a real thing. It makes me feel better to know that it's taking a little bit more than you thought it would. So, yeah, super powerful. I think, I think the analogy okay. there is when, you know, my parents will text myself and my sister and they just want to just say a live question mark and we'll be like, yes. And then yes. And then, you know, it's like, we don't need to like have a conversation every week about like what's happening in our right. lives. I mean, we do pretty often, but like sometimes I know we're busy, especially when we were in school, they're like, I don't want to bother them. They're in school. They need to make friends, blah, 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 blah. They need to study. So they just be like alive. And we'd be like, yes. I'd be like, all right. That's funny. Yeah. I send the proof of life, please. That's the <laughs> same thing. But see, I want more than just a yes. That means that for me, proof of life, please, means I also need a want picture to with today's paper. Yes. No, yeah. I want, <laughs> I want the, you know, super happy um, where you are in your life and that you're good and healthy and well and in the last seen photo. So tell your parents they need to up their game and um, ask for more than just a yes. We do more than that. It's just on occasion. It's just yeah. But no, I get it. It literally, it's, it's the exact same thing because right. As, as parents, we are, they fill the gap with the worst, right? They fill the unknown with the worst. We do. And we want to, we, it's, it's a really hard thing of where look, we're supposed to let you grow and do your thing and give you the space and also still care and be there for you and not like invade your space. So it's, um, that is, I would, I would say that's also an analogy to finding the right business partner, whether private equity or not, as you get advisors, right? They should be leaning in, understanding how can I support you? I am here. Just want to let you know I'm here for what you need and I care about you. I support you, but not be um, intrusive um, into a founder's business. So. I think we've come up with a brand new analogy. Maybe it could even be in the next book. Awesome. We like to, uh, Kyle, you're still muted if you're meaning to comment. Yeah, I just muted. make comments to myself throughout. Only I can hear them. Oh, I said, no. there we go. I'm glad. It's just for the lip readers on YouTube. That's like a separate podcast storyline. <laughs> Does that mean he was disagreeing and so you, you wouldn't take him off mute? Is that what's happening? You're like, uh, I didn't, no, I, I didn't I have control the one. mute button. I, I was agreeing though. Uh, I think I can get fact checked on that too. So I need a, a lip reader. Um, so I want to know why recently you have transitioned your business, uh, the McLaurin group from 
um, only, I guess, a service-based business serving um, portfolios of companies to now investing yourself? When we started the flooring group, I called folks we had been in um, different successful ventures with before. Said, look, I have this idea. You know, am I onto something? And so we had clients even before we started the flooring group. And, you know, we've had folks over the years who have approached us to buy our business. Um, and we haven't wanted to do that. I think, ironically, we started a business of being there for folks and saying, no, we weren't investors uh, by leaning in and, and helping portfolios and then stepping away, stepping in, stepping away, stepping in, stepping away. And it's been great, like hugely rewarding. I mean, five different countries all across the U.S., some of the amazing people like um, family offices, founders, private equity, the work that we've been able to do has been incredibly rewarding. We began to realize that the piece that was missing for us was fully leaning in um, and focusing on one client instead of across so many. Because for us, right, I mean, we were a boutique firm uh, and we wanted to stay that way. We wanted that that was by choice. And so talking to clients again of saying, look, uh, we really want to lean in, in in ways that we're focusing, you know, rather than on across our customers, we're now at a point where we miss that uh, and we want to get back to that. And it was a point at which, you know, private equity was now embracing basically having subsidiaries of, of uh, operations groups at the PE firms where before they didn't do that, which is the whole reason why McCoy Group existed. So, you know, we uh, we were absorbed by one of our clients, which for me, being someone who is all about client success and building relationships in a way that we think about not transaction, but building long-term relationships. And that was, um, I have to say, that was, the highlight of my career to be able to know that now kind of how we started this conversation where you end up going is not necessarily what you start out having in mind and so um, really enjoying being able to focus on very specific companies um, for myself leaning in in ways that um, are not just software companies. So for the rest of McLaren Group, it was just software companies that we would invest in very specifically. So for me, I have a, a newfound um, passion and interest in um, you know, adaptive fashion and wearable technologies uh, in ways that I want to be able to put good in the world. So that's where my focus is. So, yeah, I would not have seen that that's where we would go. But um, so we're keeping McLaurin Group with, with the founders um, as the investment group that we have. But if you just said to me at the start of it that this is where we were going to be, I would have um, I would have definitely argued with you that you were so wrong because um, I didn't see it. The time I didn't see it, but it's amazing. Sound like Kyle when uh, we first hung out. Kyle and I first hung out. He's like, "Yeah, you seem cool, but we should never work together. That'd be a terrible idea." And I was like, <laughs> "I sat down five minutes ago. I didn't ask to work with you. Like, <laughs> what a what a strong prediction to that has nothing to do with anything we've brought up so far. But sure." Right. Yes, if, if you feel that way. But, you know, things change. So. Well, and what's interesting is that people, when you really show up with genuine relationships, being invested in others' success and they're invested in your success, they will actually see things that you don't necessarily see. And, and so they will challenge you. And, you know, because 
how you spend your time and where your passions are, ultimately it takes a life of its own and, yeah. and that happens. And so that is really funny that you say, okay, well, yeah, we're not going to work together. I think choosing the people that you are going to be working with, one, having fun, knowing who each other are, being different, being able to challenge each other. And, you know, maybe, maybe sometimes challenging each other in really strong ways um, makes for a better team. Because if I can't imagine if I had chose partners that were just exactly like me. I had COVID had to stay in a room for two weeks so the family would be well. And that was long enough. I can't imagine like having business partners for years that are just like me. No, no. Was it the right decision, Lewis? Oh, yeah. That came about later, though. I mean, there was, it's, it's the whole organic progression, right? It's kind of, I don't know what Kyle's hypothesis or, or reasoning was at the time. Uh, maybe it was too eccentric for him in the moment. But I think that we've really, you know, adapted the story over time. And, and oh, yeah. This, uh, you know, the, the fish has grown by a foot every time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it's it's been great. I, what I was trying to say is that we should support each other, you know, and, and our we should we should grow and build things separately so that we can take off of what we learn from each thing. And we shouldn't start something together because we could build something massive separately while learning from each other. But that was lost in translation. And now it's just uh, and I tell the same way. So, so yeah, he was. It's, it's a, Early on in the relationship, predicting that mergers and acquisitions would happen mm. is what I'm mm -hmm. hearing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. He was seeing a, a vast array of possibilities on day one. Minute one. I walked into <laughs> the to the Moe's Southwest, which is a, a burrito restaurant, and he was reading The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, not wasting a second. And I just <laughs> knew from that moment that we were going to be... <laughs> We were going to be friends. Um, so your your Mo's restaurant. I have, so uh, I will tell you. So funny story. Um, so Johnny's gonna. He'll probably kill me to tell this story, but I, it's more of a, a a story on me than it is on him. So I talk about one of the founders that um, you know we work with his client and invested in uh, Sean Fowler. is a two door portal. Amazing gentleman. He started his business while he was still in school at University of Richmond. It started as a class project. And then after graduation, he thought he was gonna to go to New York, be an investment banker. That was just a class project. And then he realized as he was doing it, that this was really, it had again, taken a life of its own. And post-graduation, he wanted to continue his business. He told his parents, like, I, I think this is what I wanna do. And at least they had, you know, boundaries on how much he could spend and how long that he had to become profitable. But I'd been hearing amazing things about this founder. And so I had reached out that I was interested in having a conversation and just learning more about him. Well, I had my calendar wrong. I was so excited to see him. We met at this um, uh, dairy, this breakfast place, amazing place. Um, and I showed up a day early. So I'm sitting at the table and I message him. I'm like, hey, I've got a booth. I'm sitting here. Are you going to show up? Well, he thought for sure that he, first of all, he must have had the day wrong. So he says to me, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm running a little bit late, but I'm on the way. Well, he wasn't because I woke him up. He was just getting ready to like start his day. But he shows up anyway. And then after we have this amazing meeting, he looks at his calendar and he sees that it's the next day. And he's thinking, wow, she must have done that as a test to see if I actually show up. And so he didn't tell this to me until well into our relationship. And I said, are you kidding me? And I went back and I looked and I was like, oh, my gosh, you didn't tell me. Like, no, you're there a day early. I'll see you tomorrow or <laughs> breakfast for tomorrow. But I'm not showing up this morning. But he was as excited to meet me as I was him. And so knowing that he would literally show up uh, a day early and a moment's notice, yeah, it mattered. But so there you go. 
meeting at a restaurant, showing up authentically, being yourself, makes a great start for long partnerships. All right, everyone's got to go find themselves a, a lunch date. <laughs> and by the way, the dairy bar, I think, is no longer even a restaurant here in Richmond, sadly. But, but yes, everybody should, yeah. Lunch or breakfast? Now, you know, people want to meet for lunch all the time. Here's so here's my thought on that. Lunch is great. We got a hot take incoming. Hot take incoming. Hot take alert. Okay. I prefer to meet breakfast before the start of my day. Because then when we're starting off, we're just focused on our conversation. We can be fully present. Lunch for me. If I'm taking lunch, then it's more of a, a break. And if I'm not taking lunch, it's because my day has taken a turn where I am just pushing through. And so, yeah, if breaking hot, you know, please, meet me for coffee in the morning. Would you guys? I feel like it yields better results too. Now that you say it, I'm thinking about it. The conversations are better. Data analysis, real quick, on his mm -hmm. previous. Do data, yeah, do the data on it. Okay, start. Okay, you can make your own little experiment now. Now you're going to have breakfast conversations and lunch conversations, and you're going to see. Usually, with breakfast conversations or coffee conversations in the morning, people show up on time. They have not gotten distracted by their day. Right? There's more of a you know. The fact that you even are showing up earlier, there's this respect of you're adding a little bit of time to the mm. day instead of taking away from it. And interest. So I look at it this way. And if people are willing to make those early morning conversations for you, they are. There's a difference between finding time for you on my calendar and creating a time for you. So if I'm having coffee in the morning with you before I'm starting my day, I've made a deliberate choice to start my day earlier to make time for you, not just find time on my calendar where I can fit you in. But even tonight, it's the East Coast. It's, what, 8 o'clock at night, and we're doing this. That's how important it is to me to show up with the two of you. I think that... Your podcast and what you're doing and the conversations, uh, it's really, it's valuable conversations. They are conversations. It's not just folks trying to show up and, you know, get one or two sound bites in that you say, okay, no, I want to be able to say this thing. No, they're conversations. I didn't know we were talking about Dairy Bar. Um, and so I am excited to be here and show up for you because of the way that you show up. Uh, present for everybody else. We might have to add that to our repertoire of questions. Like, tell us about an impactful breakfast meeting you had unexpectedly that people would be like, oh, I gotta think about that for a second. Mm -hmm. And then the, the byproduct is a list of, you know, America's greatest underrated breakfast spots that you can't find anywhere else. So, and just fun personal stories and anecdotes. But no, I think there's a lot of wisdom. I went to a last Tuesday, maybe two weeks ago, whatever. Uh, no, it was last Tuesday. I just entrepreneurs breakfast in Phoenix. Cause I've been trying to find new stuff to do and people to meet. And it was like 8am on a Tuesday to like 11am. So I'm like everyone, like that is a strange time for a meeting for a three hour meeting with people you don't know, completely not work related. So it's like everyone literally either is in some career where they have the flexibility to do that. So like they're kind of truly autonomous in that respect. And then also just made it a priority to like, that's, it was very inconvenient. I like, got nothing done that day. It's like with well, a group went out to lunch after, it was far away, got home at like one o'clock, but definitely met some really cool people there. And so it was a good forcing function for like, yeah, everyone was willing to like nuke their Tuesday to show up to this thing. And so I think that really up. added some quality to it. You followed up. And do you feel like that um, you made really genuine connections or do you feel like people showed up and it was more transactional of, everybody was there for themselves or do you feel like folks showed up for each other i'm gonna go again i'm gonna go again so that speaks okay. to the, the rating uh yeah i'm getting dinner tonight with someone 
So I feel like that's the the corollary is like dinner is also good too that I met from there. Uh, another guy is 22, wants to be a life coach. I'm like, cool. And yeah. uh, has a lot of the same aspects, I yeah. feel like, because, you know, you, you've always got you something shut down going on after having... work. You know, yeah, you you kind of make, you make yourself go to a dinner. Um, it doesn't have the same sort of like, I don't know, energy. I like a breakfast meeting because you just, I like the, you don't have anything else that you're, you've thought about really that day except for this. It's a clean slate. Dinner is more, you need a debrief, maybe a 10 minute conversation before you get into the meat of the conversation. Talk about your day. Whereas breakfast, do you sleep good? <laughs> I do have um, one more question for you. The, the first line on your LinkedIn's header is, uh, champion. Now I don't remember it. I have champion, a, of champion good for in the world. champion, champion of putting good in the world. Can you explain what that means and why you chose that, that phrasing, those words? Yeah. Well, I think it's first because that's what matters most to me. I think, you know, especially now in this time that we're in, I think that we are, like, we're expecting more from everyone else and how they show up and especially leaders. And I think this goes back to the whole part about being very authentic. I think, you know, we, we're expecting leaders. We talk a lot about, um, authenticity empathy, purpose, we hear a lot of that. And I think rarely do we fully get to see that and, and experience it in action. And I think whether you are new, just starting out your career and making a choice, or you're, you're a very seasoned leader making a change in your career later, um, somehow, we've gotten the idea that we have to be perfect and show up. And that for me is, it's just not, it's the biggest leadership lie ever. It's no, I think it's, we have to be able to show up as imperfect leaders and allow others to show up imperfect as well. There's no way that we're going to grow if we act like we already have all the answers and um, there's no way we're going to be able to discover those new things or take on new skills and, and to be able to do that. And so I think so much of that needs to be thinking about the team, the culture, the employees, clients, like putting the things that matter first above where we started with greed and it's why the P firms that I work with. And I think as we talked about kind of in this, in my next chapter of what's next for me, you know, I, I talked about Johnny, he has a tutoring platform um, that truly makes a difference in the lives of others. You know, as I've begun to look at more of uh, adaptive fashion and, and what drives me to be able to, put my time and energy and yes, maybe it has a, a part of technology, but it is to make someone's life better. And I do that with showing up, whether it's for companies that I might work for companies I might invest in. I'm a part of, I'm a chair for, um, have been the chair for Alzheimer's association of Greater Richmond. I'm still on that board. I show up to talk to people about I think, six million people right now um, are struggling with Alzheimer's and dementia, and they have caregivers who are taking care of them um, and still right are showing up to work and showing up to take care of their children too, and yet taking care of their loved ones that have dementia. And so being able to speak about that in a way that, People know that there are support systems in place. My dad, you know, he struggles with dementia and Alzheimer's. And for the longest time, you know, he thought he was going to disappoint me. And I said, 
you know, dad, like, I love you. Just come as you are. So I think any chance I can, and I spend a lot of time on colleges and universities mentoring um, and entrepreneur programs and talking with students who are absolutely amazing human beings. And that should be a two-way street too as well. And I think that would be the message that I would want folks to get out of that is we all have something that we have to get, that we have to be able to give and add value. And every time I show up in a conversation you know, with, with you, I, I meant that very sincerely. I'm learning from your podcast, right? I've, right? I'm further in my career. There's things that you can learn from me, but I'm not done learning. And I want fresh and new perspectives. I want to be able to know how I'm reaching a, a future audience that, you know, you that it's you. You're the future entrepreneurs. And the only way I'm going to do that is with your help and showing up and learning how to do it because I'm not going to pretend that I I have have that skill. How could I? The world's changing. And so I, I hope at the end of the day, when someone describes like who is Kelly Powell of all the things that I do, I hope that they sum it up as, yeah, no, I, I would want to help her do that because I'm sure that when she does insert whatever it is I'm going to do, it's to put good in the world because I believe the world's good. So that's who I want to be known as. So. Thank you for noticing that. I think that's a mic drop. That's a mic drop. <laughs> Thanks, guys. It was really my pleasure to be here with you. Keep doing what you're doing. It's hugely important. And I hope you have a lovely dinner. Um, and I want to hear about the next time you go back and see. And I definitely want to see the data charts. Um, on what we get out of coffee conversations versus lunch versus dinner. I want to know where the data plays out. I think that my friend who is the pathfinding versus navigating versus wayfinding, I believe we met at a breakfast. Mm. So that was our first interaction. It was definitely, it was definitely at a coffee shop. So I'm liking go. our odds that it was breakfast time. There you go. I think so, we're on to something. We're on to something here. Kelly, where can people find more from you, find your book, again, LinkedIn, Twitter, just what's the best place to get plugged into your universe if people yeah. have found what, everything to be interesting? For Reaching Kelly, you want to find me on LinkedIn. Um, but check out my website, kellywpowell.com. So that's K-E-L-L-E-Y-W-Powell-P-O-W-E-L-L.com. I'm kelly at kelly.com. And um, any thoughts from the things that we've discussed, if I can be helpful to you, um, please reach out and let me know. And you can find my book by going to kellywpowell.com. You can find the other things that I'm at, involved in in the community there. You can keep track of me there um, and other future and business endeavors. But um, I'm definitely one that when I say reach out, um, I will follow back up if you take the time to reach out. So that's sincere as well. Awesome. That is a great place to wrap up. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. That wraps up this conversation with Kelly Powell. Three takeaways from me, and then this will be over. First one is I love the no update update. I think that's such a great communication tip. Uh, people don't like to be ghosted in all just respects, relationships, business, etc. People just like to know that you still exist and that you haven't forgotten the thing that they are hoping that you haven't forgotten. Uh, so I would definitely recommend implementing that with emails, everything else, et cetera. One thing I thought about saying on air that I just didn't think of quite on time was we get a lot of people asking us to come on this podcast. And a lot of the time I'm just really busy and don't want to like read the things right away, but I do want to see if these people are interesting, if there's an alignment between what they do and what we want to learn about. And so I always tell those people, I always reply something like, Hey, I'm really busy right now. I have like eight episodes recorded. I need to edit them. Do you mind following? Like I'll read this eventually, but if you don't hear from me in two months, just like feel free to reach back out. So that's like setting an expectation. I'm a real person. I got your email. I read it. 
and I don't want to ignore you, but I'm too busy right now. And that has made all these people who send us podcast referrals really grateful and appreciative that I'm actually reading their emails and treating them like people. And that's leading to a lot of them continuing to send us really awesome people. Second takeaway, quick tip, the difference between breakfast and other mealtimes. That was a fun, actionable takeaway that you can apply. Definitely uh, invite someone interesting out to get breakfast or a coffee, see how that goes for you. And then the third takeaway was I think a lot of this podcast, more so than I expected, was just good psychological and leadership lessons. Uh, less, It was less you know, tactical about partnering with private equity and how that's so beneficial and more just about ways that Kelly's run her companies and set up her company cultures uh, to be really productive. And my favorite one, the one that stands out the most was acting as though everyone is imperfect. One consistent theme of a lot of recent episodes has just been really dead center focus on trying to act based on what is true, trying to find that capital T truth and trying to operate a company based on true things such as everyone is imperfect. Seems like a better idea than trying to run in a company under the, you know, expectation assumption that everyone is perfect because then you're operating in a way that goes against nature and that's going to lead to utter catastrophe in every single situation that's my takeaways thank you for listening please subscribe if you'd like to know about the next episode and yeah reach out with comments or questions comments questions suggestions anything like that you can find us there's instructions in the show notes in the youtube description etc and of course reach out to kelly read her book if you're interested and that's all see you in the next one Bye bye